0: Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. we will get the ball to McClendon. He... Oh, he
2: doesn't get in! He fumbled the football! Carolina holds! The game is over! And Carolina has won the
0: game! Finley to throw. Over the middle! Intercepted! Wolfuck again! Wolfuck the other way! At the 30! The 40! Wolfuck to midfield!
1: Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, we are talking to a former Tar Heel for the first time this year. We've done this in the last couple of years, been able to sit down with some amazing former Tar Heels. And today, we take it all the way back to the early 70s to talk to former Tar Heel running back. Ike Oglesby, and we had to start by asking him, a guy that was from Greensboro, North Carolina, out of Ben L. Smith High School, how he ended up at North Carolina playing for then-coach Bill Dooley. We now welcome in a former Tar Heel running back, a guy that was one of the legends of the 1970s at Carolina. It is Ike Oglesby. He is joining us here. Of course, we like to talk to a lot of former Tar Heels during the offseason, and we're back in that portion of the summer where we're trying to hit some of these guys up, and Ike uh, was the first one to respond to us, and uh, we couldn't be more happy to talk to a guy that was part of one of the greatest teams in Tar Heel football history. But first of all, Ike, uh, how's things going these days for you? Um, You know, I know it's uh, been a crazy time here over these last couple of years, but hope you and uh, your family have been doing well.
0: Yes, yes, we are. We're doing quite well. Um, I'm living in Greensboro. Um, I'm blessed with uh, four sons and a daughter, and uh, at this point, five grandsons and a granddaughter, and I call myself semi-retired and still follow the heels quite a bit.
1: Well, that's awesome, man, and uh, hopefully, you know, you've been able to get up to a couple of games here. Recently. Have you have you been back? Uh, you know, at, at least a time or two since uh, Mac Brown returned to Chapel Hill. Uh,
0: yes, actually, um, I went to a function uh, a few weeks ago that was held um, at the uh, enrichment center. Um, at least I think that's what they call it, um, and uh, there were a lot of uh, lettermen from. Cross classes, it was uh, the Friday before the spring game, and um, got to meet a lot of uh, guys that I played with, a lot of guys that uh, played after me, and uh, of course, the coaching staff. And uh, continued to be quite impressed.
1: Yeah, definitely man. Uh, I've heard a lot of people, you know, a lot of former players have said that they really like the, you know, family type atmosphere that uh, you know, Mac Brown and and his staff have really been able to sort of bring back to Carolina after that seemed to sort of evaporate a little bit, you know, in in some of the previous regimes. But as you said, you know, you're you're living in Greensboro and that's where you grew up, that's where you went to high school. No, I think the first question that, you know, we have to ask you is what made you want to play for Carolina and specifically what made you want to play for Bill Dooley when he was recruiting you back in your high school days?
0: Well, one thing to keep in mind was that was a really kind of a transitional period uh, in that uh, in Greensboro, the schools had been integrated. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I was one of the first part of one of the first groups that was bused uh, to uh, a new high school Smith at the time. And the thing was that although for all conferences except the ACC, uh, the minimum SAT was 700, but the ACC had an 800 uh, uh, requirement. And that tended to filter out a lot of uh, black athletes at the time. Um, You also needed to keep in mind that it was right after the Charlie Scott era was ending, which, of course, garnered a lot of favor and uh, a a lot of attention by uh, black athletes uh, to Carolina. Mm -hmm. So um, at the time... Only UNC and Wake Forest had black football players. And one of the players that was at Carolina was a guy I played against from Parkland, a guy named Jim Webster. And um, it was because of those factors that I was interested in, in, in speaking with Carolina. Um, well, let me also say real quickly, I had the opportunity to be the first black player at South Carolina in Tennessee, but it was because of what I perceived they were building at UNC that I gravitated towards them. It seemed to me like a lot of the best players, including guys I played against, were coming to uh, Chapel Hill. And also, as a running back, uh, who wouldn't want to play uh, in the I formation? Mm-hmm. So um, those were a lot of the factors that pulled me towards UNC.
1: Yeah, and and you did some great things in that backfield for Carolina. And, you know, look, one of the guys that you came in and played with pretty early on, almost immediately, was Don McCauley back in that 1970 season. You know, he ran for 1,720 yards, uh, had over 2,000 all-purpose yards Still a mark that is held today as the most rushing yards in a single season. But, you know, you were the guy that was alongside of him. You finished that season with 572 yards and six touchdowns on the ground of your own. So, you know, first of all, how special was that group, th- th- that pairing between you and him? And, you know, what was it like playing with a guy that was just that uberly talented that could put up those types of numbers even back in, in the
0: 1970s? Well, Don um, was uh, a person who had an extremely strong work ethic, especially in the weight room. And uh, that was new for me um, because weights were not being emphasized at the high school level. And especially at that time, uh, there was a misconception. Of course, there were misconceptions about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then when it came to training. And uh, one of the misconceptions that I had uh, lived under was that if you, as a sprinter, and I was a sprinter, I actually lettered in track at Carolina as well. Hmm. As a sprinter, if you lifted too much, uh, you would get tight and lose the flexibility that um, contributed to being a sprinter. Don showed me that You could be a running back, and it would enhance your ability to break tackles. So he was really kind of ahead of his time in terms of how running backs trained. And and it showed up in his short yardage and his ability to break tackles. He he was just a great uh, guy and a great running back.
1: So, you know, then you, you go on and you sort of take control of that backfield after Don, of course, eventually graduates. And in 1971, you get out to just an amazing start to the season, uh, 504 yards, <laughs> five touchdowns, and four games. But, you know, what happens after that that sort of cuts your season short? You know, I've seen that, you know, they have talked about an injury, but – it, it's hard to really find a description of what happened and it makes sense. It was back in the 1970s where it wasn't quite like today where you had all these journalists that were covering the team and everything. So what what exactly happened and, I mean, it, it, you know, how how were you able to bounce back to be ready for that 1972 season?
0: Well, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of things that were ingrained in our athletics back then that we learned were just not to be done. And one of those was how we approached water in both uh, practices, especially was even on the high school level. And for sure in the college level, there was a misconception that you could, you needed to keep your athletes from drinking too much water during practice. And uh, you see, you've seen, seen that in movies, uh, where people are, are basically dehydrated. In mm-hmm. fact, we lost the player prior to that season. A guy named Bill Arnold uh, passed out during the last week of, of summer practice and, and, and died in the hospital. Yep. Um, but during the, the the NC State game, which was, the I think, the fourth game of the season, in the first half, um, I ran the ball 19 times, mm-hmm. which – well, considering I'd run it 39 times against Illinois, wasn't, you know, that's just what you did. I don't even hold the record for most carries. Don does, 47. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the point is, it was very overcast. It was very humid. Mm-hmm. It was very warm. And when I went into the uh, dressing room in halftime, I went into convulsions. I started having spasms in my legs muscle-wise. Mm. And uh, they put packed me in um, ice and sent me to the hospital. And I stayed there two weeks. And they never really completely figured out what was going on. Oh, wow. But a uh, long version, I mean, a you know, short version of the story is Although I did, as you put it, bounce back the next year, uh, I never ran another four 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 three forty. Mm. Uh, best I ever did after that was in the four five four six range, and it just makes a difference. So, uh, whereas before the injury, there was no question with the offensive line I had and our offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I know I would have come close to, if not exceeded, the 1,700 we we had done the year before. Our our offensive line was just wonderful. Uh, We had uh, Ken Ken Huff, and we had Robert Pratt, and then you had Jerry Sane, a consensus All-American, and um, Bob Thornton, and... uh, Oh shoot! I know I'm leaving somebody out, but anyway, it was just the best offensive line you could ever have. And I, I often laugh because people criticize Dooley's offense as being three yards in a cloud of dust, and I would always correct them and say, "No, no, it's four and a half yards in <laughs> a cloud of dust." <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it really was. I mean, those rushing attacks are definitely some of the best in Carolina history. I mean, the tandem of you and and Don are you know talked about every time that you know Carolina has any sort of duo that gets up there. The most recent, of course, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. You know, they compare you two guys and how successful you were back in that 1970 season. Um, And look, that offense worked, uh, and it worked wonders in 1972. Um, you you know, as you said, it wasn't quite the same for you, and I, I really wonder, you know, if you would have been able to bounce back and and get back to the speed that you showed before that. How special that season could have been, but you know, you still run for seven hundred and seven yards, three touchdowns on the ground. You're the leading rusher for a Toriel team that went eleven and one, which is still one of the best in program history. You know, what are some of your favorite memories from that run, and and why do you think that that team was able to just come together and have as much success as it did?
0: Well, um, first of all, on both sides of the ball, because of Dooley's recruiting prowess, uh, we had the best athletes in the conference, period. Um, and... If you look at the record, especially uh, my junior and senior seasons, Mm -hmm. it bears it out. Uh, If you just look at the uh, the uh, my junior season, heck, we were missing my junior season. A guy named Judge Maddox, who was uh, another black athlete, he was six foot five. He was an edge rusher, who was all ACC his sophomore year. And because of some personal reasons, didn't come back. He didn't play. Uh, Jim Webster, who uh, was another of the black athletes that was there, he was a two hundred pound linebacker who had running back speed, and he missed, uh, I think, nine uh, games in that season because of a, a lower body injury. So we were able to absorb uh, losses like that. Uh, look at me; I was one of the. I was preseason ACC and mm-hmm. reabsorbed me uh, being uh, removed from the offense. And except for a couple of games, didn't miss a beat. So um, it was because of the caliber of athlete we had. The other thing that I don't think people realize is because of the intensity of practices back then. Mm-hmm. You did not go through what we went through and not have a close camaraderie relationship because to us, people just didn't know what we dealt with. You know, the whole water truck deprivation thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We used to start out with three a days. We reported a full month plus before students. It was brutal, but it drew us together.
1: Yeah, and and uh, you know I, I I've heard that from some of your other guys. I don't think he played with you, but a guy uh, Bill Spann, who we had on last year, said that. Yeah, I know Bill. Yeah, and and he said that's that's kind of what he, we were always prepared because we made it to the point where practice was tougher than the games because that's just the way that the Coach Dooley was. <laughs>
0: yeah. And that's you even got to drink water during game.
1: Well, there you go. Well, there you go. And, and see, that's the point that I think we're trying to reach because the, the best part is, is that you hear, you know, Carolina at, at one time had the best talent they were getting. Most of those guys were from in-state um, as well. Yep. And they built up that talent pool. And that's kind of what it looks like Mac Brown is trying to do here. Now he's kind of hit that bump in the road, but hopefully that's the same you know area that Carolina can get to. And one of the things that Mac Brown has talked about with having that older you know approach um, to coaching is that we want to make practice e- easy. You know, we want to make practice so tough that it makes the games easy, and and that's, you know, it's amazing how, you know, from talking to you, from talking to a couple of the guys back from the team in the early 80s that won 11 games, and even from talking to guys that, you know, were with Mac Brown late in the 90s, it seems to be that same way, um, but yeah, what, you know, when, when you look back on some of your favorite games or memories from that season, because that was just such a special year, are w- there any that really kind of stick out to you from that 72 season?
0: Well, yeah, uh, for sure, right off the top of my head, uh, the uh, East Carolina game, which was uh, the first time UNC and ECU played, and at the time ECU came in, uh, they, I think, had won nine games. And was, I think they were 9-1-1 and or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. And they had a defense that was purported to be the The junkyard dog defense or something of like that and uh, uh we ran multiple running backs all year we uh, I don't think any one of us, unlike the years before uh i'm my mind uh, I may have to go back and check, but I don't think we had any games where we had one guy that had twenty carries. And I think that was one of the few, I think I had 19 carries maybe that game. But the the point is, um, we, we were doing running back by committee. And um, because of that and some other things, I hadn't scored a touchdown that year at that point. <laughs> so the ECU game was the last home game, and I wound up scoring three touchdowns and and you know, went over a hundred yards, and it was a good way. It was a great way to bow out in Keenan Stadium.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah, that is tremendous. And I uh, yeah, I didn't know that coming in. Uh, you know, yeah, you did share the backfield, uh, Billy Height, um, who will you know we'll talk about him a little bit in a minute. Uh, for, you know, a little bit further down the line um, in your lifetime, Sammy Johnson was back there with you as well. So yeah, you guys really started to rotate backs. Um, and, and was there any specific reasoning that w- was given? Was it maybe due to the injury that you had sustained the previous year that Coach Dooley oh, well, wanted definitely. to change it up? Yeah.
0: Well, yes and no. And this is what I mean by that. I, I, I'm confident in saying what I'm getting ready to say. Mm-hmm. I'd come back and been my regular self, speed-wise. Uh, and when I say that, we had, uh, we had this thing in spring practice called challenge sprint. And um, it was part of their design to make practices hard. Mm -hmm. So you've gone through a a two-and-a-half-hour summer practice, which is scrimmaging, and you get to the end of the uh, practice. And the coaches have pre-tested us and divided us into groups of eight by speed. And remember, there's like 108 of us. Mm -hmm. So you got a bunch of groups. But the way it worked was everybody anyone in a group that won three sprints, three forties, got to go in right then. If you run if you won uh four out of uh the first five, you got to go in. Otherwise you ran seven and the winners in each group would move up a group and the losers in each group would move down. So you always had competitiveness happening. Hmm. And all this just to say, until I got hurt, I always ran three and went in, period. <laughs> so, because of that, um, I know if if I'd been the way I had been before, I would have had another 25 to 30 carry per game season. But I was cool with the way it worked out because I had to admit I was not the same running back as Hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and it just, I mean, you just have to wonder And it goes into that category of so many of what-ifs in Tar Heel football history um, so, you know, after, after that, you know, after that 92 C se- or 92, excuse, excuse me, after that 72 <laughs> season, uh, you end up, uh, you know, graduating from Carolina and, um, you know, kind of where, where did life kind of take you after that? You know, I've asked so many guys this question and it's just amazing to see the different directions that life took them. But for you, what was your path?
0: Well, um, <laughs> Without trying to get too personal, mm-hmm. I, I will say this. Um, when I was at UNC, um, I was very much a reckless young person. <laughs> and um, but primarily because at that point I had no moral compass. I was literally, um, I had convinced myself uh, to be an atheist. So I was an atheist mm. when I was there. And having no moral compass, and it being the '60s, uh, '70s in Chapel Hill, you know, it was it was play hard, party hard. <laughs> so, I'm convinced that if my life had continued uh, on a path that led to the NFL, that the person that I was at that point would probably not be around to be speaking with you. Mm. Instead, I wised up. Realized I wasn't I wasn't egotistical enough to remain an atheist. Uh, found uh, found Christ, and because of my UNC affiliation, wound up meeting uh, the love of my life, who I've been married to now for 43 years. That's awesome. Well, that that is Just tremendous. lessons of the children and the grandchildren. Um, real quickly. I'm semi-retired these days. Uh, I've always been entrepreneurial. And, um, you know, I supported myself over the years by uh, going in and out of uh, being a medical sales rep and um, uh, having medical-based sales businesses. So that's been pretty much it.
1: Well, that's awesome. No, that, that's tremendous, and uh, we we are glad that you are able uh, to talk to us today. I mean, look, we've all been through those phases uh, in life where we look back at the person that uh, we were at one time and say, "Man, that uh, how was I that person?" But it's it, it's amazing, um, you know, how how life can sort of change as as we go throughout. And one of the things is is you know you, now you've got you know this tremendous family as you were talking about earlier, and. Um, you know, one of the guys that uh, you know, one one of your sons did go on to sort of follow in your footsteps just a little bit. He did play in the ACC as well, and that's your son Josh. He was a running back uh, for Virginia Tech from '07 uh, to '11. And you know, how exciting was it for you to be able to watch him sort of follow in your football legacy? Do it at the position that you did and to be coached at least for the early portion of his career by a guy that was a part of that 72 team with you uh, in the backfield in Billy Height?
0: Um, it was it was a, a really great experience in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, any former player will admit um, there's also the former player John Destardy, when it comes to watching what transpires, mm-hmm. um, you always feel like your child could play more, and you always feel like, uh, you know, things could go differently for them. But as far as I'm concerned, his, he, war, you know, he had a great time at Virginia Tech. He met a bunch of super people. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, played in some big games. He had some big moments. Um, and now he's married to a wonderful woman and having a super career. So, uh, it was a lot of fun. uh, the, 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 trying to keep personal relationships out of coaching decisions Mm -hmm. uh, at times was a challenge between Billy and I, but we made it through it.
1: Yeah, and, and look, that couldn't have been the only tough L. How How tough were some of those games when, because of course by that time Virginia Tech fully established in the ACC, how tough was it to watch some of those games between Carolina, who, who at the time, um, for the majority of his career, was being coached by Butch Davis. And, you know, they were kind of looking like maybe they were building themselves into something. Um, and, 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 you know, having your son playing at Virginia Tech, how tough was that for you to control, you know, the alma mater, having, you know, been around them and, and, and the program for so long and, and watching your son having to play against the team that you played for?
0: Well, now that part was easy Um Blood's thicker than water. Yeah, Um,
1: you're right. You're right. (laughs)
0: You know, yeah, that part was fine. Now the the hard part, though, at times was sitting there wondering um, what would have happened if John Bunning had offered Josh right off. You know, especially when Josh was at his camp, Mm -hmm. because if he had, Josh would have committed to Carolina and would have played there. So it was really more when we played unc that at times my mind would wander to the what ifs of him being in, on the other side otherwise uh no i always rooted for for his team well there you, yeah
1: yeah i i got you and and look i think that's probably a question of probably a lot of people and you would imagine that you know in in a case of maybe the current coach, Mac Brown, would probably look at that and, and probably extend an offer, and you never really know. But it seems like, you know, everything worked out in the end. Um, and, of course, Indeed. you know, we're we're glad. I mean, you've. I, I'm assuming, you know, you probably still pull for both schools, but I'm definitely assuming that uh, you do have those no, Toriel roots. No, <laughs> not anymore. No,
0: I don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was only because he was there. Well, there we go. I'll always appreciate them, but I'm a Carolina guy.
1: There we go. I like to hear that. I like to hear that. Hey, man, we really appreciate you stopping by with us, man. We always love you know, having the former players on to tell their stories, and uh, yours is, I I think, one of the more interesting ones, and honestly, probably one that people don't know enough about. Um, And thank you so much for taking out the time today and and, and sitting down and talking to us about uh, all of this different stuff. Sure, certainly. All right, thank you so much. Uh, You take care, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again soon. All right, man? Okay. All right, thank you so much. Thanks.
2: The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big-day a big payday during the NBA playoffs, with DraftKings same-game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, And use the promo code TBPNXX. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game. And get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details.
1: So we want to thank Ike so much for stopping by with us, guys. We hope you enjoyed that as much as... As we did, that was a tremendous interview with him, and man, he, uh, you know, it, it, just one of those, one of those ones that goes into the category of what could have been um, an amazing start to that 1971 season. If you don't know about it, go back and take a look at at those stats and try to find some of the articles. You know, just in doing the research uh, to try to get prepared for this interview with Ike. I learned a lot about his career and and how special of a player he really was before that injury. Um, and, and look, to come back in that 1972 season and to be as successful as he was as part of that backfield trio, really uh, it was a four-man backfield uh, with another guy, Tim uh, Kirkpatrick, who we didn't mention there. But all three of those guys, or, or all four of those guys, excuse me, ran for over 300 yards that season And what a tremendous year for Carolina. And again, you never really know if he would have been able to come back and and, and play at the level that he was playing in that 1971 season. Who knows? Carolina could have gone undefeated that year. Maybe they beat Ohio State, who they lost to that year and maybe Carolina is in the hunt for a national championship. You never really know, but put that down in the what-if category. But go back, please go back and check out the story of Ike Oglesby. What a tremendous player, and we thank him for taking time out to talk to us today. Uh, Make sure you guys head over to the website uh, to check out some of the stuff that we've got up there about some of the more modern Tar Heels, maybe even the future Tar Heels. Uh, Recruiting is starting to... Get itself into uh, you know into full form here. It seems like Carolina is in pretty good standing as they try to sort of turn the heat up on this 2023 class. It hasn't been the greatest start for Carolina to the class, but they're still in the running for some big time uh, guys in this class, and also uh, still looking to establish themselves further in the state of Virginia, looking to keep their stranglehold on the state of North Carolina and extend into the states of Georgia and Florida, as well as a couple of the other surrounding areas as well. So we're going to have you covered on everything on the recruiting front over on the website. We're also going to have you covered on everything that's going on around Tar Heel football with the weekly storylines. This week's edition, we're going to try to drag it a little bit because there really isn't that much to talk about this week. Um, you know, I, we got you know, a bunch of the recruiting stuff uh, that that we'll probably be looking at here over the next week or so. That'll be more really focused on the podcast edition. Um, hopefully, we'll have one here soon uh, with Zach Hubbard around that commitment, and we'll be able to tell you a little bit more about what was going on over the weekend. But for right now, in terms of the on-the-field stuff and really just the stuff generally happening around Carolina football it is rather silent so we're going to hope to see if we can get maybe another storyline or two that'll pop up here uh, for Carolina before we release that out to you on the website meanwhile on the basketball side of things Carolina did see one of their big transfer targets that people have been talking about Uh, he did withdraw his name from the from the uh, NBA draft over the weekend so make sure you go back and check out that article that uh, Josh has up on the website find out which of the Tar Heels' potential uh, transfer targets, did withdraw his name, and what that means for the Tar Heels as they look to try to fill that empty scholarship spot? Maybe add that stretch four. Are they looking to, you know, add a little bit more uh, depth in the backcourt? Where are they going with that? Josh has an article up uh, for you guys to check out over on Heel Tough Blog. Dot .com when it comes to the podcast make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast whether it's Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, any of those great spots you can subscribe to the podcast and make sure you head over to the social media pages as well at heeltop blog on Facebook that has all of the stuff we just talked about all in one central location also has those video editions of the podcast which we are hoping are going to return here pretty soon we do have a scenario that uh, is happening uh, in terms of our behind the scenes personal life where maybe we're able to potentially get an area where we can record again for you guys. On camera, That would be huge. We're hoping that situation works out um, because we want to be able to bring you those video editions of the podcast. We know you guys enjoy those so much. So keep an eye out for that right now. It's just the waveforms, but those are up there along with all the articles and all the audio editions in one central location on that Facebook page. It's also over there on the Twitter page at Blog on Twitter, and you can check out our personal pages for all the information. We have all those articles as well as, uh, you know, we go in-depth on on some of the other stuff. That's where you can keep up with everything that's going on around Tar Heel recruiting uh, as well for me and for Josh. uh, Whenever something uh, is posted on social media, we'll usually quote it um, and let you know what's going on. And uh, my personal page, at HTB Anthony, Josh, at HTB Josh, and then Zach Hubbard is at hackzubbard too. On Twitter, so make sure you guys check that out. Uh, so that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Ike Oglesby for stopping by with us. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tory.